Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host, the Cloud 2030 Podcast. This episode is all about dealing with the weakest link in security. And we have a really interesting conversation thinking through how we can secure systems, all the way from what technical processes put in place to the people involved, to legal enforcement, and who pays the price when data is compromised. Uh, There's a lot to digest here, and we really do come back to thoughtful ways in which we can deal with the weakest link in the systems. How do we create robust security models when people don't want security or don't want to be interrupted by security or are very easy to be manipulated into compromising security? They're really serious questions uh, that are the topic for today's podcast. I know you'll enjoy it. You feed it this stuff, it becomes part of the data set. At what point has, does it understand that it now has a degraded data set and it shouldn't be using this stuff to make uh, recommendations because that's the bad stuff? That is... Because it's all mm-hmm. in the data set now. <laughs> it's It would be very easy to become lazy on this. That's right. No, there's and this is, you know, or there there is definitely still skills and supervision implied, but not you know it's that's a supervision's a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know everyone's saying, oh, we don't have uh, right now. It's we don't have the DevOps, the security ops uh, folks. It's like the they're either not trained at all or they're you can't find them because they're getting paid gazillions and you provide this tool for for folks and then you have the supervision issue and it's just going to make the gap bigger because as martez says we don't need to hire the the uh the un the un the inexperienced ones because we've got this tool and suddenly no one has the experience to supervise the tool. That's actually the topic of the day is uh, building security around the lack of security expertise. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you're, you're 100% on topic from that perspective. Um, I, I mean, just take the AI, AI out of it. Can we have secure, can we build secure systems? From that perspective, that without that expertise, well, I mean, we, go ahead. So, you've got with humans, there is a reasoning capability where if the if the data isn't out there, the humans can still uh, iterate and build up expertise while acquiring the data. The AI, I don't, is a different story, but the, we got, the key is getting more people in the pipeline because AI is not going to be able to extrapolate. It's graded interpolation, but currently it's not, it can probably do some extrapolation here and there, but it's really the humans that do the extrapolation. So you have to be able to identify who is capable of gaining the expertise and applying it and nurturing mm. them along to learn the stuff. And you can use AI to speed the process, but you still need to have the pipeline. You need to develop the pipeline. Mm. It's a systems problem. <laughs> and to that point, I, I, I definitely think it's not really a, a skills gap problem in, in the broader oh. sense. So I, I take a look at things like data security issues. So if you take example, like super basic example, like an Excel spreadsheet, it's got 
email addresses and social security numbers in it. Typically, the way to protect that is things like, okay, well, I'll just either encrypt the file or a password protect the file. The problem becomes the moment somebody enters that password, whether they legitimately know it or not, or they've somehow stolen it, then at that point, that data has been exposed. And so I have a good mechanism, at least that I'm aware of, and it permeates across different technologies to mask or hide those individual fields. So where I might decide, you know what, I'm fine with you seeing usernames or I'm fine with you seeing the person's name, but the social security number, I want to hide it by individual record where let's say a second factor is required to access that record. And so we see, we see that across the board every single day of a malicious actor gets access to a database or whatever piece of data and we have no good mechanism to restrict access to the sensitive data that's actually valuable. More often than not, it's an all or nothing scenario. And we've realized that does not work. Hmm. Trying to think through, how do we protect people? So I think ultimately it had to be some way to to both properly audit and then have some second factor of authentication or depending upon regulatory compliance. And this one I haven't delved into. I don't want that third party or that company to keep my social security number around. Like if you need <laughs> if you need right. that number, ask me for it or provide me a mechanism for in essence to provide you with one single time use. Of that piece of identity. That's, that's what, I would, what I would really like. Yeah. Ah, yeah and so, I mean, exactly. security issue that just that we're leaking so much, like we're like we're leaking so much data. Yeah. Yeah, and there's really and unfortunately we're at the not moment, going to put that back. Yeah, that toothpaste is not going back in the tooth. Well, I mean, I, I think we can I think we can get much better at it. Unfortunately, like I, I tweeted the other day, like things like zero trust and supply chain security are interesting distractions. Um, in that, like those don't solve the problem of the malicious actor is going to get valid credentials. It's gonna happen. Mm. Like okay. We can trick ourselves into thinking that it's not going to happen. They're going to get valid credentials. How can we, number one, limit the scope of what they can access, at least before being prompted for a second factor? So typically what we're at is they, they get prompted for that second factor, but it's not at the data level. It's at access to a system level. And so it's much more difficult to siphon, let's say, a million records and get a million social security numbers or whatever different PII, if each individual access requires a second factor to get that actual data or that information. So, I mean, it, it's the approach we're taking it is all wrong. Even take a look at something like a lot of the ransomware that ransomware gets dropped onto a system, it's going through encrypting file servers. There is no real mechanism to throttle access to files. I should be able to define that says, you know what? No, oh. you can't go through a thousand <laughs> files in a minute. I don't anticipate a human to do that. Or I also could have the safeguard that says, okay, maybe I do have this super secure service account that can access a thousand or 10,000 files, but every user shouldn't be able to just go through every single file. So it's things like that where we just, we don't consider or don't even think about that, the applications and it's okay, well, let's do immutable backups and all these other things that aren't going to solve the problem. Oh, what you're describing to me strikes me as um, I, the idea that <laughs> this is one of those ones where, where everybody just ends up using root on the servers. Um, <laughs> because you you end up right because you end up with very locked down systems, which I makes sense to me until you know somebody's like, oh, I'm running this thing and it's scanning a directory and that directory has a thousand files in it. Now it's it's causing this weird partial failure because it, I'm not allowed to scan directories that are that big. 
Um, I mean, I used to have debugged issues like this where it's like you have a certain number of file locks that are enabled in a system. And if you, you know, large systems run out of file locks and they, and they crash in very weird ways. Um, uh, I understand the motivation. I makes the, some of the implementation makes me nervous because you get into um, very hard to troubleshoot problems constantly. But I, I don't, you know, other, otherwise it's the alternative um, passive scan or active log scanning where the way you would catch that is to monitor system activity and then actively shut it down if there's something got like virus, virus scan detection, which isn't even how virus scanning really works. It's always been a dream. Yeah, so it, that becomes a, a six in one and half a dozen in the other. Do I, I, I lock it down? and then grant a single account access? Or do I have some mechanism that is actively performing an inspection to perform that throttling and can have some potentially some additional logic to it? Um, both you're gonna have to make an exclusion or an exception, whether you do it upfront and that's potentially more of a quote unquote hard coded or explicitly defined versus doing it on the back end from an automation perspective, the challenge with that, so things like event-driven security, is most systems don't have a mechanism to enforce in a, an event-driven manner. So there's typically no call I can make that will stop an active operation, um, depending upon what even, it is. Or even monitor an active operation, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Let alone do the, the profiling. To say, hey, this this is weird. Person is walking all over this place. Um, My default yeah. stance is most of those things are, are weird to begin with. They're outside of some sort of automation script. There's no reason an account needs to access ten thousand files within a minute. Yeah. So so you're you're a guardrails first. Oh, you know, restricted, restricted, restrictions first, open, open, sort of the firewall, firewall definition. To a degree. I mean, if we could, if we had good mechanisms in place to be a more responsive, then I'd be inclined to, to go that route. But I, I think where we are as an industry is that I've got to, I've got to put up the guardrails first and then figure out what are those valid use cases and ideally have a good mechanism to allow those, those valid use cases. Right. I, I, this, I mean, this is, is that a way to, we're saying we're going to hand somebody a restricted account and then we're going to work through the process of, um, of enabling. Well, it's not a restricted account. That's, the system is restricted in terms of how it can be utilized. And so that's the, the problem the industry is in, is literally the issue, which I, I, I said earlier, is the way the system is designed is what allows this, because that's how the system is supposed to work. You as a user can access a file server or files on a file server. That's the intent. That's When it's working, that's how it's supposed to work. Now, what are those guardrails of how you should access it? Those have to be properly addressed. Right. The system, right. system was designed in a world of trust. And now we have to shift the system with guardrails to, to change the trust relationship. Which is, which is a way... Uh, Y'all are making me think of my experience with Amazon and their security model <laughs> where, um, right, everything is protected from everything, which is good. But there's a whole bunch of buttons throughout the system that says, oh, you just wrote this thing, enable access from A to B. And um, you, know, you, you push a button and it, it creates a JSON file in the the security system that then provides access from point A to point B. Um, I guess that's not bad. It's still I'm still granting a narrow privilege at the moment of at, at the moment of need. It's not 
necessarily timed or locked out. It also gets confusing and frustrating. Um, is that is that better? Is that okay? So part of that is having better tooling to troubleshoot and debug those issues. Unfortunately, where we end up at is, and, and this is what I would say when like people talk about least privilege, least privilege, least privilege. Like I almost always want to say like, if you if that's your initial response, then you probably haven't done a whole lot of least privilege development, especially across systems. So when you talk about multi-cloud or even individual applications, what least privilege looks like can get very, very complex in that privileges are nuanced to those individual systems. And so the industry hasn't done a very good job of making that easier. And so oftentimes it's literally trial and error. And then at a certain point, the administrator gets frustrated. It's like, I'm tired. I don't want to keep doing this. I'm going to over permission you. And we act like it doesn't happen and it won't continue to happen because we don't have good tooling for it. Now the, U, the, UX, the UX on these things is, is incredibly frustrating. Um, and then when, if you lose permissions, right, you're, it, there's, there's not a lot of, I haven't seen, I'd love to see this. It says, hey, you just re- revoked permissions from X. You know, somebody's now trying to do that X again. You know, should we extend? Because then you could put timers in. You could actually put some timeouts in. Mm-hmm. Um, because the idea of re- of timing out permissions and then you know um, reinstating them or just in time reinstating them is actually pretty reasonable from that perspective. Because you know it's God. There's yeah. layers of good design in here that that we're just not. Um, I just don't see people doing so. Um, Part of it is, yeah. is they, they slapped it on after the fact because uh, they were responding to mm. a need that, that had a requirement that had not been identified originally, this whole trusted system stuff. And if you consider that we're in, in the infancy, literally, on the security ops stuff, this is version 1.0. We learn all the irritations and stuff from it to design systems that aren't just slapped on the on as an afterthought. Uh, but w- like with Amazon, you get so big that you you're like OpenStack. You can't do OpenStack 2.0. You can't do security apps 2.0 because security 1.0 just got so big and convoluted that. Nobody knows where it goes. The whole Elon Musk fires everybody at Twitter problem. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't think that that would be we could do better UX? Like the way this stuff. I mean, it... oh, we will do better. But okay, what'll happen is that some other company will come through with something beautiful Ah. and until that happens it'll be a small company they'll get lots of folks leaving the big companies for like uh, a year or so and then the big companies will either buy that one and institute (laughs) it and roll it out or they'll or they could kill it without doing anything or they will actually adopt and uh, you'll see the changes come out over time. In fact, yeah. I would expect somebody like IBM to be one of the early, uh, earlier um, responders to something like that because they see they, they are the type of company to respond to that with their own uh solution whereas aws and and google just sit there and not invented here yeah the, 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 oh boy the, i have a you're, you're spawning a depressing thought to me which is that the, the differentiator in the new solution is in, as far as my industry experience has been has never been improved security <laughs> 
Well, what's so, the question is, what's the incentive? What incentive is there for a, a vendor or a company question. to do that? Uh, one, of, one of the examples that jumps out to me is, uh, and surprisingly, it has a, a, a lot of people passionate about it, is the thing like the, uh, the single sign-on tax. A lot of people think that it's ridiculous that companies would consider uh, forcing you to, to buy a higher tier in order to get single sign-on. Um, mm. And so when you have that, the issue is, well, if people feel that way, what is the company supposed to do? Are they supposed to offer that advanced capability in their lower tier of the platform and then try to have to figure out how to make the money work? Um, or do they just decide, you know what? We're going to offer that single sign-on, but like, Anything else from a security standpoint, like we're not going to go through the hassle because pe- pe- people aren't willing to pay more for it. And, and I think, uh, again, yeah. you'll see something like if when a secure system does come out, that small, that those that company or companies that do it, what will happen is Europe will regulate it into a requirement. And it'll migrate out again from there once the cost has been absorbed by the folks working in Europe. So, oh, that's an interesting. Yeah, all of all of this could happen, right? In not in the U.S. market or come to the U.S. market because it's required in other jurisdictions. Exactly. Boy, that would be nice. <laughs> I just, ah, uh, ah. Uh, we, I mean, right? We, we still first priority is usually reduce friction, not improve the security model, because security model just makes it harder. Um, which is why it's interesting with a lot of the the focus and interest that people talk about with things like open policy agent and a lot of these as code capabilities mm-hmm. for policies that I, I cringe at, like you want okay. people to have to define everything in code as the only way. Like there's mm-hmm. constructs, concepts that people have to figure out and understand and how to do that. And one thing I could think of is like, I couldn't imagine trying to to codify policy for like something like vSphere or some complex system without any real guidance from a UI as my initial pass into how does policy work for this system? Oh man, yeah. Oh goodness, I'm not even sure policy for most systems is particularly well defined. So that's a good. Yeah, command line just doesn't work with regards to defining complex systems. (laughs) Well, so I haven't done as much depth on the OPA pieces. Is the OPA standardizing what the actual policies should be, or is it just standardizing the way you pass syntax around? It's an evaluation system. So essentially you pass it data or pass it inputs. You define the logic for whether it's a quote-unquote true pass or fail. And that's the mechanism that can be utilized for authorization in any system, technically. Ah, uh, okay. I have seen this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so people are, people are advocates of that and, and trying to take it everywhere. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to have to deal with that when I'm trying to figure out how does permissions and policies work in a, a complex system. Well, the, the variation is part of the thing that's so so tricky from that perspective. Um, right, you end up in every every application ends up with a custom rules policy system. Yep, and even at minimum, it's the the different objects and constructs in that. Like for AWS, you have like things like principles and various objects and how does their syntax work in terms of wildcards and 
are the the statements additive or does one override the other there's just so much nuance that trying to wrap your head around it is a a very bad u.s experience Which is now we're back to it's almost impossible for a new user. This is why we just turn this stuff off. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so much easier. I mean, I, I know very firsthand, right? If you decided that you were going to um, do a whole bunch of actually here, let me be very concrete on the on the issue. Right. One of the, the adoption barriers for Kubernetes compared to OpenStack was that Kubernetes made the very good decision to require TLS on the protocol. OpenStack didn't. Um, that meant that when Kelsey Hightower wrote the Kubernetes the hard way, like most of the hard way was actually generating the, the certificates. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, after that, it wasn't that hard. Um, and, you know, and and I know for OpenStack, getting people to actually build TLS on the protocol was was super hard because it wasn't required. So the system, like, we, we built a whole bunch of OpenStack without TLS. And then going back and adding TLS was, you know, it was just as hard as the Kubernetes TLS stuff, but people didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. But it's funny, even that minimum bar created resistance to adoption. Um, and so we have a tendency to dumb all that stuff down right out of the gate because um, nobody wants to build the the UX on, you know, you're just having people bump up against the curb and then having to say, yes, give me permissions. Yes, give me permissions. Yes, give me permission. Super pain. It's hard. And there's no, this, this, is, this is discouraging. <laughs> So unfortunately, this is this is what goes through my head most days as I, I see mm. the shiny new interesting stuff in the world. And one of the things I commented on was, uh, unfortunately, data breaches just aren't data breaches. Those are people's lives being greatly mm. impacted by the loss of their social security number. And I think, unfortunately, at the moment, the industry just sees data breach and just thinks impact to the company. Oh, so-and-so company just had a data breach. Very, I don't, yeah. I've never seen, actually, I've never seen discussion about the human lives that are impacted by a data breach. Not, I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those lawyers would go go crazy if you start really accepting her. You know, this is the way we, the way we are. It's like very hard for somebody to, Take the potential liability that you've created by a, a breach. Somebody's getting, you know, their their stuff, you know, uh, they're getting um, identity theft. And I just Eesh. want to point out that this is why the AI ethics folks are so almost seem like uh, they're screaming fire in a theater, but they're not because nobody takes into account the reality of the human lives that it, that it impacts by doing some by making that mistake of either allowing in a bias or uh or not protecting the data in such a way that these folks don't have their lives destroyed so yes yeah reality is is abstracted away in in the uh the code world. Yeah, uh, we're we're going to end up needing with this defensive AIs because there's I don't I don't know how to put that one back that genie back in the bottle. Well, yeah, and the 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 key is just and again I think it's going to be regulation in this particular instance again because companies have got have they didn't used to be move run fast and break things and software made it possible to do that in the past safety was part of the the built-in thing just right. designed it in and it's not anymore boy i'm i'm walking through what it 
what enforcement scenarios would actually look like if we were going to make this work. Um, yeah, we've leaked the data so much. And actually, on the Thursday group, the meeting that I, I, forgot, I didn't open, it was on data. If y'all if y'all haven't read it, the data um, uh, cartels book terrifying along these along these lines we'll talk about it on thursday but that's that's really scary um because because the <laughs> i'll save it for then <sighs> well an, an example of a company created with essentially it's uh a cover it's a data collection company but they're doing it under the cover of uh, farmer's dog, dog food. And so oh, okay. they're, they're selling this, this dog food that's supposed to be really good for dogs and fresh and stuff like that. But in actuality, it's the data company. And so when you go to the website to find out what food you should feed your dog, they ask you tons of questions that have no relationship to your dog. And then whether a lot of folks go out there because the dogs have special uh, dietary needs and whatever you put in there along those lines, they still give you the same. They tell you it's the same food that, that they get, no matter what information you put on in about your dog's dietary issues. But they it's literally like 15 minutes to half an hour of filling out answering questions that have nothing to do with your dog before you even get to the page where you can sit there and say, uh, okay, so my dog has a dietary specialty. What dog food, which of your dog foods do I order? Right. And it's literally just a honey trap to gather data on people. Wow. With, with a, with a, with like a, uh, Nice sounding name. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we've got a couple of products that, that we sell, but in actuality, what we're doing is collecting all this data to sell. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, so how do we protect people? We're back to the, this is the central question, right? Is there's legal, legal mechanisms. We're, we're, we're literally talking about AIs that are going to human factor people out of, you know, right past these systems, right past this. I mean, and, and I, none of us like the answer you can't, although I think that's currently the answer. Um, in Europe, is there, it'll is there become some, another is there ISO. <laughs> is there some pragmatic? I mean, I, I do think there's a pragmatic, like, you know, turning on security, robust security by default. Um, it is pragmatic. Uh, it It is. So security is like safety ford motor company making the decision not to fix a design problem because the cost of the lawsuits uh are smaller than the cost of fixing it on all their cars and the same is mm -hmm. going is happening right now in security it's we can afford the breach as long as we don't tell anybody about it and that's what's going on now and again it's it'll come out of Europe, the regulations, there'll be a new ISO standards uh, that will propagate through companies. And there are some companies that will sit there and go, we've, we've got to make this safe. Generally, they're not going to be the big companies on the stock market because short-term profits are important. But there will be small companies at some point, the advantage of that will make it so that uh, 
the large companies will have to respond in the U.S. or they'll have to respond mm. to the European market, the European regulators. It's a regulation. It really is a regulation problem where it costs money to do this. Therefore, the way to make it happen is to put regulations in place that require companies to spend some of their profits to uh, do this. I think definitely from a regulation standpoint, I think it'll end up being pushed on the um the companies and not the software companies, the companies will then force the software companies to have to align um, to ensure that they're doing what needs to be done. Because otherwise, I don't, I don't see any incentive on anybody's side. Yeah. From the, the vendor side, I mean, it, it's extra money that you're investing for no real tangible return. The companies that are buying the software or the systems aren't likely willing to part with an extra few dollars or, or several few dollars, depending upon the, the scale, to get that more secure, quote unquote, system. Right. And so, for instance, manufacturers uh, that are susceptible are going to demand that their vendors uh, bring up the their their the stuff they're buying from the vendors to a level of quality so that they may so that the manufacturers maintain all the um the stamps of approval and uh audit auditable stuff that they do uh so it like martez it'll be pushed from the the and corporations down into the the software uh, uh, providers or operations providers, however it it works. But yes, <laughs> yeah. And I think just fundamentally rethinking when we think about, in particular, data security. Like I mean, I, I, I talked about it, but it's still. When you oftentimes when you hear a breach, you you read a news story about a breach, it's that oftentimes it's difficult for the company to determine what data was even accessed. Question becomes why is that why is that such a problem for IT systems now to find out what data was accessed, and then finally, there's no way that a massive no payload. That massive payload of data should be should be able to be retrieved in in theory, quote unquote, such a small period of time. So that's the it's the systems that are holding the data that are the problem. It's those we have to start with those. Then how the data is being accessed from like a web server or an application server, evaluate what that process looks like. So the problem is if let's say the the front end does a query to the database and grabs select all right who's who's maintaining the record of what records were accessed in theory all of the records were accessed so i can't i can't technically even notify i'd have to notify everybody that your data may have potentially been compromised and so unfortunately that's a problem we've got to rethink how that works and that's actually currently how they're doing it how these companies are doing it yeah we we know that they access the data. Uh, we think they have addresses and stuff like that. So they're literally, like Martez said, somebody says select all on a database or so, set of databases. And so they, that's what who they're notifying, everybody in that table. Right. And, they're, and it tends not to be particularly that actionable when they do notify. Oh yeah. It's here's here's 24 months of identity theft protection. <laughs> credit credit monitoring. Credit, yeah, no, that's the and yeah. like Martez said says, why do these companies have even no alarms on uh 
on data flow above a certain limit. That that's a basic start for companies that do for companies that expect only uh, select searches and small amounts of data to go across their boundaries. There should be some sort of alarm that we've got this this data leak going on. And alarms going off that that there's lots of bandwidth being used and leaving the company intranet or the cloud intranet. I mean, you're you're just even the one people's credit re- credit report is defaults to you know open, <laughs> not closed. Yes. Mm-hmm. God, there's so much. But then again, <laughs> it's, you know, being at the bank or something and being like, you need to do a credit check. And then you, there's all sorts of back and forth that you have to do to empower empower that to happen. The challenge is, I, I, my, my concern with all of this is the, the disruptive forces that we keep tapping into, somebody wanting to do a better job is typically not the selling function for it, right? The, the place where this creeps in is when you've got big companies who've gotten embarrassed by a breach and they start adding, you know, proper security protocols. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a really hard pitch to be like, we're going to make our software harder to use because it keeps you safer. Which or, or they go the opposite way. Hmm? So, or they go the opposite route and say, which is interesting when you talk about like ransomware, is most of the conversation now is about recovery. Is make sure you can recover your data. Don't pay the ransom, recover your data. But all the data that you had, it's gone, but you can restore it. So problem solved. Not the fact that people's social security card numbers and addresses and all those things just literally walked out the door. Yeah. It's about, about recovering the data, getting the business going again. Well, yep, the, the interesting thing about ransomware is that they didn't necessarily have to take the data. They've, they lowered the threshold in some ways of the criminality. They've, they've restricted your access without transiting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they've, they've had access to your system, so who knows? But um, <laughs> That's all they've told you. <laughs> but... Uh, but you know they didn't have to move it. They could just they could just encrypt it and then mm-hmm. sell you sell you back access. It's um, um, and I don't know. Ransomware still counts as a breach, but it's not it's not not quite the same as losing you know the Equifax losing all of the the critical data or even something like um, what happened to Nvidia where somebody came in and stole stole their source code, but that mm-hmm. included keys. Um, like we get breaches of private of signing keys, you know, nowadays on a regular basis. I think the only the only answer is that you end up having to have all those security systems need to need to have a higher rotation rate there, um, and a time and timeouts. Um, and I could see a day if we did that where I'd be doing nothing but regranting myself permissions to stuff all over the place. Um, well, it's the, the, the trade-off of, of what we're securing versus perceived efficiency. Uh, and the other issue is uh, locality. So if you're inside the net coming from a, a local network IP, there could be different requirements. But uh, if your source system is out on... Uh, AWS, nobody's inside the net. <laughs> so it's uh, there there are locality switches for some of those granting permissions and stuff, but we have to define the networks well enough that we know the networks are secure. Yeah, I'll go back to my favorite, my favorite drumbeat, which is we need a better identity and credentials clearinghouse. 
all I mean, everything everything would everything starts from our, our crummy identity. Well, I mean, it's kind of like how the old days. It's you go into the server room to to get the console console up, and you couldn't SSH into the console because that was a security hall. <laughs> but well, the thing that the thing that drives me nuts is it is that when you interact with other people online, and there's a there's a two edged sword, but. Fundamentally, the internet was created with this idea of anonymous use and anonymous access. And one of the things, so, you know, when I look at this, one of the simplest things is if you could actually prosecute somebody who violated laws, we have laws, we, we, we could be actually enforcing, you know, when, when people get scammed with identity theft, you know, we, it'd be, we could actually you know, can't today, but it, you could envision a world where somebody can can actually be tracked down and held accountable for that. We can't we can't even trust the phone numbers that are between two phones right now. Um, so somewhere there's a benefit that we're we're allowing to pass um, here. That's my so my this idea that um, I can I can do things on the internet with less with you know with more not anonymity. Um, and walking around the, the street at my, um, although I, I leak a lot more data nowadays online, it's just my identity that's not confirmable. It's known, it's not confirmed. It's it's much more difficult uh, to impersonate somebody in person than online. That's where the issue I have with identity and some of those things. Yes. The the malicious actor is Rob when they're in the system. And so the, the idea that we're going to get around that problem is where I think it all falls apart for me. It falls apart for me. I think that's good. Yeah. So if we had stronger identity, that's the, that's the first building block. Yes. And that was supposedly going to all be solved with blockchain. <laughs> Oh, blockchain's down, but it's not out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to go back to distributed ID. I I would just be happy if we had better two factor auth on a shared identity system. Okay, so what about <sighs> this this new Google passkey crap? Pardon my French. <laughs> I, I haven't. I mean, I. I, I will use Google Identity for um, all sorts of websites now, which is handy, um, which maybe is a step forward. I haven't seen Passkey. Uh, they supposedly are doing one-time tokens, but I'm not sure how they're doing it oh. because uh, they're not like giving everybody uh, and you need a passphrase. So, the the issue is it doesn't work for people without memory still, <laughs> but it supposedly it's literally the old RSA uh, key fob, except that they're not they don't have a key fob. I'm not sure what they use for the fob. <laughs> Might be something to check out. I, the, my biggest challenge with 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 that, and we need to wrap up, but is I just don't know how good i feel about google being my auth provider anymore they're gonna they're gonna decommission the service in a, in a year oh that wasn't my concern my concern was <laughs> uh, they're, 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 they're selling they're selling the data about all the services i'm using to oh. and you know anybody who wants so the, the challenge with an auth system it's managed by facebook or google or amazon or you know is the, the their motivations for being providing the auth service are um they're not even questionable they're known that they are selling your data somewhere or processing well, it or using it what what's even tackier from my position is i had a friend there working in uh privacy and she was working in in the ads group in privacy and she had no clue as to the fact that the ads group had this special backdoor and they were selling stuff that 
that she said she didn't think they even had access to. Uh, and so, and so the, the lawsuits, lawsuits that, that, that Google got involved in because of their uh, ad stuff, she said, no, Google doesn't do that. And she was in the group that that was actually doing it. it. <laughs> and so they were hiding it from their own employees, their own essentially auditors. Yeah. No surprises here. Yep, exactly. Probably. All right. Well, I think a depressing conversation, but useful. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> you. Yep. Bye. I hope you're not too depressed about the state of security after this conversation. Um, there is a lot to think about, and we definitely need to continue to drill into ways that we can lift up the security profile. Um, and some of it, you know, I don't think is impossible to solve. I think that there are very pragmatic ways that we can address security. I do know that if we don't talk about it, then we will never make progress with security. If you want to talk about it, please join us at the 2030.club. Be part of these conversations, bring in your topics, your ideas, and your questions. We want to hear from you. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.